Welcome to the Living Rock Podcast. So my title for this morning is Such a Child. Such a Child. And often that can, uh, it can be a bit of an insult, can't it? He's such a child. But you will discover by the end of this morning why that is the best three words you could ever hear. Such a child. You know, Jesus, when he was 30, he began his ministry by being baptised by John the Baptist. And from then, he's led by the Holy Spirit into the desert where he resists the temptation of the devil. And then he goes and he heals the sick. He brings freedom to those who are oppressed. He casts out demons. He teaches incredible truths about God and the kingdom of God with authority and clarity. He cleanses lepers. He calms storms. He calls his disciples. He cures diseases. He restores life to a little girl. He feeds the 5,000. He walks on water. He establishes doctrine. He feeds 4,000. And then in chapter 17 of the book of Matthew, he's taking Peter, James, and John up a mountain. And he starts having a chat with Moses and Elijah, who, by the way, have been dead for a very long time. And it's in this context that there's this voice from heaven. And in Matthew 17, verse 5, it says, A bright cloud covered them, and a voice from the cloud said, This is my son, whom I love. With him, I am well pleased. And you kind of think, yeah, fair enough. You know? Jesus has done all of these incredible things. I've just rattled off some of them. Jesus has done so much and he receives a well done, I'm proud of you, I love you from his father. But you know, that story could be told in another way, which is that Jesus begins his ministry at age 30 and he's baptised by John the Baptist. And before he does a single thing, there's a voice from heaven which says, this is my dearly loved son, whom I love. In him I am well pleased. And before Jesus does a single thing, he receives, I love you, I'm proud of you, well done, from his father. And you know, there is a big difference between doing and striving and achieving to try and prove or persuade yourself or somebody else who you are versus resting and knowing who you are and serving and loving and giving from that place. And I believe that this morning a conviction that you are first and foremost a child and that it is in being a child that you find your identity, your value, your approval, and your provision, if you can accept that this morning, that could change everything for you. And I'm speaking to myself as well. This is something I am discovering. If you can have a conviction this morning that you are first and foremost a child, it will set your priorities in the right order. Because, you know, sometimes it's very easy to kind of think, well, this is my job, and when I've done that, there's space for me to be, in my case, a husband, And when I've done that, there's space for me to to be a father. And when that's all done, maybe there's space for me to be a disciple and an apprentice of Jesus. And when that's kind of all sorted, maybe there's space for me to be a child. But actually, if we flip it around, it's a much healthier way to say I'm a child of God. And out of that place of being a child, I'm learning from Jesus, I'm I'm an apprentice. And because of that, I'm a husband. And because of that, I'm a father. And because of all of those things, I can do my job. And for me, that's, that's a, a pastor, but for you, it's a, it's a different job, and it applies to all of us. 
If you can accept this morning that you are first and foremost a child, then questions about value and success will be easily answered. I'm a child of God. Yeah. What's your value? I'm a child of God. Amen. Are you successful? I'm a child of God. Yes, amen. That's right. Competition will be done away with. Yeah. Because God is a perfect father who is not comparing his children. That's right. He says to you, you're my favorite. And so are they. God is a perfect father, and he doesn't desire us to compete with one another. You're his favorite child. And it will be easier to let go of what's holding you back and lay hold of what will take you forward, because there's such a depth of a relationship that our father wants to have with us that leads us to peace and to purpose and to provision. It will also help us to live for an audience of one. And we see this when Jesus is giving the Sermon on the Mount. And in Matthew 6, he talks about giving and fasting and praying. Three really big things. And in all of those, he says, when you do this, just do it in secret. Because your father sees. It's your father who sees. Don't do it for the approval of others. Don't put on a big display with your prayers, but do it from devotion to God. Don't fast and look all weak and dreary, but... Put your moisturiser on, do your hair, you'll be fine. (laughs) Do it for an audience of one, because your father sees and he will reward you. So when we can be certain and secure of, of these things, really there is nothing for us to prove, which is a wonderful and freeing place to be. I have nothing to prove. I don't have to prove who I am to you, to my friends, to my family, My father says to me, you are my child. I love you. I'm pleased with you. And that is liberating. And that is a truth I believe we all could grasp a little more this morning. So I just want to let us know a few things about what it means to be such a child. And we are in our series of faith, hope, and love. So I trust I've not shoehorned this into that series. I think it works. But I just want to talk about how we are such a child by faith. We're such a child with hope. And we're such a child of love. Does that sound okay? Yes. Great. So we are such a child by faith. Whether you are, I just want to pre-warn you. um, This is a bit of a heavy hitter. Uh, This might be painful for you. It might be painful for me. That's okay. God loves you. He's your father. He's pleased with you. And he's got good things for us. Whether you are in your teens, anyone in their teens? Yes, well done teens. Whether in your teens, your 20s, your 30s, your 40s, your 50s, your 60s, your 70s, your 80s, or even your 90s this morning, there will be ways that you think and ways that you feel and therefore ways that you behave and things that you say which are based on your experience of family when you were a child. Okay? And some of these ways of thinking and feeling and behaving are not good for us. And sometimes we are aware of this, and sometimes we're not. But sometimes even when we are, we ignore it, or we put it aside because we we don't want to deal with it, or we just accept this is part of who I am. Everyone in the right place this morning? You might be questioning that right about now. This is a little heavy. 
So we can all be here today, and we might be able to recollect things, well, this is because of when I was a child. Some examples. I'm just going to say that all of these are about me, but they are not. I don't want to embarrass anybody or make you think I'm talking about anybody in particular, so I'm just going to say they're about me. They are not. (laughs) When I was a child, I had a parent who was highly critical. So I find it really difficult to take feedback from authority figures. I therefore have an unloving and a disrespectful way of relating to my leaders. When I was a child, I had a parent who didn't really communicate their love. So I don't really know how to communicate how I feel. And I often have outbursts of anger, or or I'm very insular because I don't know how to communicate like that. When I was a child, I had a parent who didn't show good care for my other parent. And therefore, I felt that I constantly had to make sure that they were okay, and that it was my responsibility that everything was all right. And so today, I feel like I have to be there for everybody, and the onus is on me for everyone to be okay. When I was a child, I I had a sibling who I felt they got all of the attention and the praise. So I'm a people pleaser. I say yes to everything from a need to be noticed. Or I say no to everything because I don't feel like I really have anything to offer. When I was a child, my family argued about money and we didn't really have very much. So I, I don't really spend or give or tithe because I'm scared that I won't have enough. I pursue certain career paths because I feel a need to make as much money as possible. When I was a child, my parents got a divorce. I really struggled to trust and to open up fully. I make bad decisions in aid of keeping the peace. I often quit on things or people before things get too invested. And you know, it's no good saying, that's when I was a child, but now I'm a grown-up. Because the things that we've learnt and experienced don't go away if we ignore them. They actually play a role in shaping us and in conforming us. And we get this wonderful verse in Romans 12, verse 2, which says, do not conform to the pattern of this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind. And, you know, when I became a Christian, something incredible happened is that I'm now able to say, that's when I was a child, but now I'm a child. Because when I became a Christian, I made a decision by faith to trust that Jesus Christ gave up his life for the forgiveness of my sins and rose again so that I could have relationship with my heavenly Father and come into the family of God. And at that point, I received the renewed mind of Christ in my spirit. And at that point, Romans 8 tells me that I received not a spirit of slavery that leads me back into fear, but a spirit of adoption by whom we cry out, Abba, Father. Galatians 3.26 tells me that we are all sons through Christ Jesus. Sons is an important word there. It's not a masculine, feminine gender thing. It's to be a son and to be an heir. It's to receive all of the inheritance of what our Father has for us. So whether you're a man or a lady this morning, you are a son of God, and that's an incredible truth for us. 
So now I am a child of God. I'm in the family of God. I've got the mind of Christ, which can be renewed, which can restore, which can make whole. And there's just a couple of things about being in the family of God which I want to point out. And there's loads more, and it is a thrilling study of the word if you want to look into what it means to be in the family of God. But in James 4, verse 8, it simply says, draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. God is not an absent father. He's not like any earthly father, actually. He draws near to us as we draw near to him. He loves us so much. We've heard all about that this morning already. Your father loves you. He is pleased with you. And in Psalm 84, it describes a little bit about our family home, and I just want us to turn there and have a little read. Everyone okay so far? Everyone doing all right? I know it's, uh, you know, yeah. It's all right. Psalm 84. Here's some, some things about our family home. How lovely is your dwelling place, Lord of hosts. I long and yearn for the courts of the Lord. My heart and flesh cry out for the living God. Even a sparrow finds a home and a swallow a nest for herself where she places her young. Near your altars, Lord of hosts, my King and my God. How happy are those who reside in your house. That word reside is most often translated as live. It's not just to hang around for a while, it's to live in the house of God, who praise you continually. Happy are the people whose strength is in you, whose hearts are set on pilgrimage. As they pass through the valley of death, they make it a source of spring water. Even the autumn rain will cover it with blessings. They go from strength to strength and appear before God in Zion. Lord God of hosts, hear my prayer. Listen, God of Jacob. Consider our shield, God. Look on the face of your anointed one. Better is a day in your course than a thousand anywhere else. I'd rather be at the door of the house of my God than to live in the tents of the wicked. For the Lord God is a sun and a shield. The Lord gives grace and glory. He does not withhold the good from those who live with integrity. Lord of hosts, happy is the person who trusts in you. There's loads more we could say about what it means to be in the family of, of God and have that sort of family home. But I just want to ask you a question, and you might want to respond to this at the end when, when we'll be able to have a bit of time of, of ministry and worship together. But a question for you to consider. Will you, and it might be, begin the process of, Will you let go of the past and receive from your Father? There are things for all of us that shape who we are today, and some of those things are not good, and some of those things need to be dealt with. And when we come to the Lord in worship, and when we come to the Lord in prayer and in ministry, he starts to deal with those things. And sometimes it's in an instant. And sometimes it's really painful and it requires a lot of work and a lot of time. 
And we are really blessed to be in a church family who loves and cares for one another. And we would love to be able to help one another with all of those things. So we are such a child by faith. We are such a child with hope. When we know where we've come from and where we're going, we have nothing to prove. Genesis 1, 26 and 27 tells us that where we've come from is that we're made in the image of God. God said among himself, let's make mankind in our image, male and female, just like us, to be in our image. And that's where we've come from. And that's incredible for lots of reasons, but one thing is that God does not have idols. Lots of gods with small g's have idols, and it's how people understand a bit about who that God is. Ironically, it means that it's very difficult to relate to them because there's something in the way. But our God, the God, does not have idols. He just has image bearers, and that's us. God didn't make idols. He made us so that people could look at us and see who God is. And you and I today, we are image bearers of God. We're made in the image of God. What that means is whenever we put something in the place of an idol, not only does it distort the image of God for us, it distorts the image of God for other people because they're looking at us and we're pointing to something else. So we are, if I may say this humbly, the pinnacle of creation, the best thing that God's ever made, the image bearers of God. That's where we've come from. And we're headed to eternity with our heavenly Father because of Jesus Christ. John 3.16 tells us that God so loved the world, our Father so loved the world, that he sent his one and only Son so that whoever believes in him will not perish but have eternal life. Our destiny is secure. Our hope is secure. Eternal life with Jesus Christ, made in the image of God. What a hope we have. And when I consider the fact that I have this hope, it means that I'm much less compelled to perform to try and earn acceptable, uh, sorry, acceptance or approval or accolade. It doesn't mean that we don't work hard, but what it does mean is that we're not working to try and earn something that is already ours, yes. the love of our Father. Amen. Approval and acceptance and accolade in other places will not get you what you really need, the love of God. So we need to be sure that we do because of who we are, not to try and prove or persuade or figure out who we are. We do from a place of being. Does that make sense? When you're sure of who you are, a child of God, you have nothing to prove. It means that you can serve without needing anyone to notice. You can serve without needing anyone to notice because your father sees you. Jesus, obviously, is the ultimate example. And in John 13, we find him in the middle of a discussion between the disciples, who's going to be the greatest, who's going to sit in the best seats, all of this sort of thing. And Jesus comes on the scene, takes off his outer robe, kneels down and starts to wash the feet of his disciples. This incredible Jesus but he's so, he knows where he's come from. He knows where he's going. He's secure who he is. And he stoops down to serve. Yeah. And we have that same hope. We know where we've come from. We know where we're going. We said earlier, didn't we, that before Jesus has done a single thing, 
He's baptized and he receives these words from his father. This is my son whom I love. With him I am well pleased. And it's from that place of assurance, of identity, of hope, that Jesus goes into the desert and he faces the devil, the enemy. He faces the enemy and Satan comes to try and tempt Jesus and essentially says in a few different ways, if you're the son of God, prove it. Let's have a look, shall we? Matthew chapter 4. Just in case you don't believe me, turn to Matthew chapter 4. Why don't you just turn to the person next to you and say, I am a child of God, and it's the best thing ever. So in Matthew chapter 4, Satan comes to try and tempt Jesus, and we find him in the odd verses, because he's a bit odd. But in 4 verse 3, it says, the tempter approached him and said, if you are the son of God, tell these stones to become bread. If you're the son of God, prove it with performance. Do something. If you're the son of God, do something. Jesus knew that he would do many great things. But he doesn't try to prove who he is by performing for somebody else. We don't have to prove our child of Godness by performing. You and I don't need to perform to try and prove who we are or to try and earn something that is already ours, the perfect love of God. We go down a little bit further and it says from verse 5, the devil took him to the holy city, had him stand on the pinnacle of the temple and said to him, if you are the son of God, Throw yourself down, for it's written, he will give angels orders concerning you, then, he will, then they will support you with their hands so that you won't strike your foot against a stone. If you're the son of God, Jesus, why don't you prove it with popularity? Everyone knows who you are. Let's take you up here. You jump down. The angels will swoop you up. Everyone think, how great is this Jesus? You'll be so popular. If you're the son of God, prove it with popularity. And you know, we just don't need to do that. You don't need to be at all the right things with all the right crowds. You don't need to, to prove who you are by who you hang around with, who, who your friends are, or by popularity. It's just not important in the context of being a child of God, loved by a heavenly father who sees what you do in secret and will reward you. And then a little bit further down, Satan comes again in verse 9. He said to him, I will give you all these things if you will fall down and worship me. If you are the son of God, prove it with possessions. I'll give you all these things if you'll fall down and worship me. If you're the son of God, prove it. Have all of these things. Jesus obviously says, no, that's not what it's about, Satan. Satan. That's not what it's about. And similarly for us, we don't need to prove who we are with the next this, that, or the other, or the accumulating pile of whatever it may be. Our possessions don't define who we are. We're a child of God. 
It's a wonderful, wonderful truth. And so just a question for us to consider, which we'll come back to at the end. Will you this morning let go of doing to receive from your Father? Do you this morning need to let go of some doing, which, if you're honest, isn't from a place of being a child of God? There's a question which I like, which is, um, if you're honest with yourself, really, what are your motivations for doing what you're about to do? It's a question about integrity. Are you doing what you're doing from a place of being a child of God? Or are you doing what you're doing to try and be noticed, to try and gain approval, to try and be accepted, to try and prove something to someone? If we're really honest with ourselves, what's, the, what's our integrity like in that question? So will you let go of doing to receive from your Father? And finally, you're such a child of love. You know, your father really, really loves you. Yes. Yes, he does. We must never question if our father really loves us. He really loves us. Yeah. He will never, ever stop loving us. That's right. That's right. He loves us with an endless love. Yes. There is no start or end to his love for you this morning. He loves you. He can't love you anymore, and he won't love you any less. He loves you totally and completely this morning. The Father really loves his children. And we as children need to really love one another. We need to love one another in a way which is real. I just wanted to read two portions of Scripture which, just in preparing for today, just felt that that these would really just speak and minister to us this morning. And sometimes at a time like this, it's sort of a why don't you close your eyes and soak it in sort of time. But I just felt that this morning, it'd be really good just to keep your eyes open and maybe have a little look around if you want to as, as words about who we are to God and to one another are read. And for us just to be grateful and appreciative and to receive a fresh love this morning. If you don't feel comfortable doing that, you can look at me if you like and I'll look back at you. If you don't feel comfortable with that, then just praying that you'll feel comfort this morning. <laughs> Love you too. <laughs> so, Matthew chapter 6 and verse 25. Don't worry about turning to this, by the way. Just hear a couple of pages resting. You, you can if you'd like to, but feel free just to just to listen and have a little look around. But this is Matthew chapter 6 and from verse 25. Holy Spirit, I just want to pray that as we read the words of God, in the same way that you were hovering over the nothingness, ready to act on God's words of life at the beginning of creation, that it would be the same for us right now, that as we hear the word of God, that Holy Spirit, you would just bring life into our lives this morning and into our situations. That you would minister alongside your word being spoken right now.
I just pray peace, Lord, for those whose hearts are a little troubled at the moment. Lord, would you just prepare us to receive right now? Jesus' wonderful name. Matthew 6.25 says, Therefore, I tell you, do not worry about your life. Do not worry about what you will eat or drink, or about your body, what you will wear. Is not life more than food, and the body more than clothes? Look at the birds of the air. They do not sow or reap or store away in barns, and yet your heavenly Father feeds them. Are you not much more valuable than they? Can any one of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your life? Why do you worry about clothes? See how the flowers of the field grow. They do not labor or spin. Yet I tell you that not even Solomon in all his splendor was dressed like one of these. And if that is how God clothes the grass of the field, which is here today and tomorrow is thrown into the fire, will he not much more clothe you, you of little faith? So do not worry, saying, what should we eat or what should we drink or what should we wear? For the pagans run after all these things. And your heavenly Father knows that you need them. But seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you as well. 1 John 4 says from verse 7, Dear friends, let us love one another, for love comes from God. Everyone who, ha- who loves has been born of God and knows God. Whoever does not love does not know God, because God is love. This is how God showed his love among us. He sent his one and only son into the world, that we might live through him. This is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. Dear friends, since God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God, but if we love one another, God lives in us and his love is made complete in us. And so we know and rely on the love God has for us. God is love. Whoever lives in love lives in God and God in them. This is how love is made complete among us so that we will have confidence on the day of judgment. In this world, we are like Jesus. There is no fear in love, but perfect love drives out fear. Because fear has to do with punishment. The one who fears is not made perfect in love. We love because he first loved us. Whoever claims to love God yet hates a brother or sister is a liar. For whoever does not love their brother and sister whom they have seen cannot love God whom they have not seen. 
And he has given us this command. Anyone who loves God must also love their brother and sister. Are you this morning working for something that is already yours? The total, unconditional love of God for his child. You can't earn it, and the world won't give it. God has got you in his hands, and he has everything you need. Jesus tells us that to love one another is to love God. It's not just like loving God, it is loving God. In Matthew 25, we hear Jesus talking about when one was hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison, that whoever helped that person, cared for that person, loved that person, did it for him. Not just like doing it for him. He said, whoever did for one of for one of their brothers and sisters did it for me and we are brothers and sisters we're children of God together called to love one another and so I just wanted to ask this of us of you and me and all of us can we please love one another by being real can we please love one another by not pretending to be perfect by relating to each other properly. It's really difficult to love somebody if you don't know who they really are. There's got to be a a genuineness among us. I'm not saying that there isn't, but we've been told time and time again in recent months how great we are at loving each other, and it would just be a shame if that became a mask for some work that still needed to be done. We've got this covered, let's move on. It's just not the case. We need to continually grow in this. And I'm asking you and saying that I too will be genuine in how I love and how I portray who I am. Just want to say a slight tangent, but... I, uh, I'm quite comfortable with settings of various sizes and speaking and doing worship and all those, those sorts of things. And uh, my fellow elders are a wonderful bunch of friends, and I'm really comfortable in their company, and that's great. But when we met together a few months ago, I just felt really anxious. I felt really nervous, and my heart was pounding and my hands were sweating and nobody else would have known because I didn't show or tell anybody. But just in that setting, I, I just felt really weird, like my mental health wasn't very good. And I hadn't done anything wrong. I just felt stressed and, and anxious. And I'm saying that because, well, A, it's the truth, but B, because it's not wrong to feel like that. You're not a bad person if you struggle with mental health or feelings of uh, worry or stress or anxiety or depression or anything like that. You're not a bad person. And you're not judged. 
and you are welcome and you are loved. God loves you so much and we love you so much. You know, if one part of the body suffers, the Bible tells us that the whole body suffers. That scripture has become so more and more real to me just in helping people pastorally. I just, just feel so just grieving with, with people that are sad and I don't really know a whole lot about the situation but I just, just feel that for people yeah. and just so happy for people when they succeed and do well and it's just so amazing that another child, my brother or sister, is, is doing really well and it's great and you know, for all of us, if, if we're going through anything... Let's be those that get alongside one another to grieve when one grieves and to rejoice when one is honoured. Oh yeah, I should remember to say that. God, God said, said to, I should say this because God told me um, that there are people here today who are drowning in doing. You may be constantly doing and striving and trying to achieve because of a fear of failure or an unhealthy relationship with a need to provide. You may be bottling all of that up and feeling unable to talk about it because you think that you'll be judged. And as a result, you may be facing stress or anxiety. And the biggest lie that you can believe right now is that you're all alone and you've got to keep it to yourself. We are here for one another this morning. And so my final question I'm just going to ask the worship team if they would pop back up to the stage, please. Will you let go of independence, pretending, needing to be in control, fear, just to receive from the Father this morning in the context of his love? You might need to let go of the past this morning, of some things that have happened maybe when you were a child. You might need to let go this morning of doing, which isn't from a place of being a child of God. You might need to let go of this morning anything which might be holding you back from fully receiving and enjoying the wonderful, all-embracing love of God this morning. You might need to let go of something else this morning, but if any of that applies to you and your life and your situation, then God just showed me that this morning that as we're holding these things, we can just let go to receive what the Father knows we need. He has all that we need. And I just believe that as we worship right now, that I could just almost feel the embracing, loving arms of our Father just coming around us and holding us tightly just to love us and refresh our hope and our faith this morning. So we're going to start to worship together to sing some songs. And if you particularly would like for somebody to pray for you this morning, then you can ask the person next to you to pray for you this morning. If you would just like somebody just to speak 
life and love and faith and hope into you this morning, then you can ask the person next to you to do that, to stand with you. If you have something that's really quite specific and you'd like uh, to be prayed for it a little bit more privately, perhaps, um, or not just share all the details, then I'll be around at the front and um, there'll be some others here at the front as well who could pray with you like that. So we're just going to take a bit of time to worship and just to allow our loving Father to minister to us this morning. He's already told us how much he loves us in our worship and in the word, I hope. So let's just come to him now to be able to let go and just to receive from our Father this morning. Thanks for joining us today. Search for us online and get information about upcoming events and more great teaching.